And so people are very amazed by the universe because of the size and its complexity, but really it's, it's, it's not very complex at all. It works by very, uh, very well-known constructs that we have. I was wondering how long it would be before I heard the word construct this morning, and Dan, you didn't disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> it's already been said a few times. I was going to say, probably, <laughs> since I'm not probably going to have the opportunity to use the word oligarchy, I figure I'd default to construct. So, I, well, think, I think we should talk about oligarchy. <laughs> we, can, we can certainly apply oligarchies to the concept of reality versus perception because certainly oligarchies want us to perceive the reality they are building. I was wondering if we were going to approach this from either a political or a marketing perspective as opposed to... Isn't that the same? It's, it's political. No? Okay. No. I'll buy it. No, because... No, no. It's, it's, it's political. It's, 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 when we were in discussion last week, we were on political aspects and we were going to talk about political perceptions. Right. Yeah. yeah. Which is how this came about. And, and we can certainly go at it from that way. And at any rate, we'll go ahead since everybody's sitting here. Uh, this is Civil Tension, episode number 62. Da-dum. Da-dum. And uh, with me today, I'm your host, Peter Galt. And uh, with me is co-host... John Guansi. And co-host... Ken Nicholson. And guest... Lexi Galt. Jerry Settles. Dan. Matt Kucharski. All right. Thank you all for joining me. And, of course, we are talking about reality versus perception and you know the whole it, this can go in so many different directions last week we were talking politically and right now we have an incredible political climate wherein our reality is based on whatever certain parties or certain peoples or the oligarchy as a whole wants us to perceive as reality uh, then of course you know if you're going to operate within a capitalist society, which we have here, John, just as you mentioned, that from a marketing standpoint, what what is uh, the reality or your perceived reality of the stuff you spend money on every day, and how you live, and the way you must live, or told you must be told be or, oh, I just <laughs> anyway. Our fearless you were leader. doing you were doing so well. Even <laughs> <laughs> been drinking my green juice this morning. Um, the bathroom's that way. It yeah, is. For, for the benefit of our audience, boy, this stuff is really vile looking. It's, uh, it's presto. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pets yeah. love it. It's, yeah. it's Pets love it. Pets love it. Dads love it. Uh, presto, green antifreeze. For the thinking man. <laughs> <laughs> the thinking man's antifreeze. Yeah. Right. So your brain don't freeze. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Episode 62, brought to you by... Okay, <laughs> let's get to it, guys. Anyway. Come, on. Come on, Pete. Anyway, here we are. Reality versus perception. Can we actually... We talked greatly about even how our existence was formed this morning. Uh, and, and is it uh, a, con- a, a construct or just uh, a random happening? So, tag how, you're it. Tag you're it. Um, how would you like to start? And we don't need to define reality. We don't need to define perception. We all have the basic concept of what those are, and no matter which way they're used. So, what's on your mind? How would you like to apply this? Jerry, a lot, or Dan. Go ahead. No, you you uttered the first syllable. Go ahead. 
Well, first off, the, the, there's a uh, in the current news on the political scale, there's a there's a bit of an argument that's going on about is what we're doing here in the United States the right way of doing things. And so we've been successful, but the argument has been that, well, only successful for a select few and not successful for everybody. And so the, the fact that there are people that are uh, marginalized by the system that we have set up, and they believe that the system is designed to keep the white Anglo-Saxon male in power, and that's not a right way of doing it. Well, I am white Anglo-Saxon male, and I don't feel very empowered right now. Indeed, if I tried to get into the University of Illinois, and I were 18, and I had six, you know, 1550 SAT and a 35 ACT and lots of extracurriculars, and I didn't get in, I wouldn't feel very empowered. And that's what has happened recently. Well, if you certainly wrote a letter that stated that you came from a very poor background, that would give you a, a special dispensation and allow you in, because the colleges are set up that way. And you know what's interesting is that in uh, former communist Romania, what they would do is that if your parents went to, went to college, you could not, and if you did not go, then you, then you could, right? And so that's how they kept things even. And people love to decry capitalism, uh, which with... Without, a, without, you know, and I dare to say a, a, a moral component or agent that guides it, it can be very harsh. Um, but the issue of it is, though, is that if we look across um, various nation states across history, that um, people like to talk about how certain groups are disenfranchised. Well, I, I think that probably almost everybody in the Soviet, former Soviet Union was disenfranchised. And so, I mean, they were very, they were very equal, but they're all very miserable, and all very miserable. right. And so, I think, and I think that we have to realize that, albeit capitalism, much like the um, democratically elected republics, are not perfect, um, but there's not a better system devised, as Milton Friedman claimed and argued with Phil Donahue in I think a 1975-76 interview. He, you know, Phil was espousing this idea that uh, much of the, the, the socialist notions of, well, you know, why, why, why can't we do this or why shouldn't we do this and blah, blah, blah. And Milton Friedman ultimately asked him, said, where are you going to find these angels among men to run your government? I mean, that really is the question in that, in that even though capitalism is not perfect, whatever we want to define that as, whatever construct, hey, I said it, we want to use, uh, we certainly do have to concede the fact that there's really not yet been a better plan devised by mankind. Yeah. And it is that tension between the capitalist and the social need. Right, and there is that tension, and these are the things, and I've said it before. These are the things that Churchill wrestled with. If you read a great book by Dr. Larry Arn from Hillsdale College, uh, Churchill's Trial, he wrestled mightily with the Fabian socialists of this tension between uh, capitalism and and free will, uh, and and entrepreneurship, and uh, uh, great adventures and great endeavors to rise mankind out of the mud and the cave and whatever that is, uh, assuming that that's bad. Uh, and, and providing for a safety net for people, but, but not so much so that it becomes the hammock. Right? It's the tension. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, I, they can go ahead and complain about that all they want, but um, let's not just point to what is wrong, but okay, propose a better solution that's actually sustainable over time. History hasn't shown one. Question, can you have capitalism with some guardrails on it? 
Well, that's exactly that the point. That is the that's only exactly, way you can do it and, and, and is, help it survive. There was something that was in the press that I saw a few weeks ago when they said that, you know, I work for a large corporation, and it seems like over the last 20, 30 years, used to be a balance between make the customer happy, make the board of directors and the shareholders happy, and keep the employees happy. And now it seems as if the tilt on that three-legged stool is toward the shareholders. So I saw this proposal that said, can we put some sort of regulation, a dirty word, in place that would say before a company can do a stock buyback, that there would be some other criteria that they would have to meet first. Oh, yeah. Uh, dirty word is right. And in a lot of opinions that I respect, the less regulation, the better let the market run the show. Think, think about, oh. uh, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I got pretty much uh, done with that comment. Give, um, give consideration to what's really in the, in the news with regards to big corporations, Matt, to your point, is the... Uh, Tech companies, Google, Twitter, Facebook, Amazon, what have you, right? Big corporations, big corporations. Not just tech companies, you're talking about information companies. Well, and you can go ahead and split that here all you'd like, Mr. Northwestern, but uh, still, you get the point, okay? And a little overbearing condescending this early in the morning, I haven't had my coffee. Um, Whoa! So, we'll take I'm going to go over down by Peter well, here. That, that, that would be okay with me. Uh, so, 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 so these, so these companies are, they're not even responsive necessarily to their shareholders, they're responsive to their social justice warriors. And now, and now, think of it this way, and this is what's astonishing to me. I, Pete, you and I had a little exchange about this this week. Mm -hmm. I feel terribly conflicted this morning, hence why my R's up just a little bit. Good. Okay, and that is that we have incredibly left-wing-leaning companies in the form of the aforementioned, and um, Elizabeth Warren, if she gets elected, has vowed to break them all up, split them, because of their respective controls and holds on market share and influence and all the rest of it. The perception and the reality, okay, to kind of pull it back a little bit. The perception is that they're too powerful, they're too big, they're not responsive to anyone, uh, nobody can really hurt them, and therefore uh, the left, uh, which these uh, companies have supported, are, have supported? Have supported. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. They have supported now. The, and now the left is going to turn around and take these take left them apart. take them apart. It's like you've let the animal out of the cage, and here it is. Now it's going to consume you. Well, first of all, I think she would find out that she ain't that powerful. Well, I, <laughs> I think she what would have be you, right? Well, sure. But well, what certainly you? that gets to the point of what the reality is. Is is and, and what is the perception based on that? Right. Certainly, she wants everyone to perceive that she has that much power, or would have potentially. Right. Uh, I mean, this goes back to it would go back to the uh, breaking up the monopoly of Ma Bell when you know I'm old enough or young enough, whatever you want to call young it, enough, to remember that as I remember it too. Yeah. And uh, uh, it, it you know it was just an amazing thing that all of a sudden we were going to have all these different phone companies. Um, you know, it, it's been, I don't know if it's been a great thing, if it's been a bad thing, 
uh, it's fundamental to the system that we have. Yeah, it, it, yeah. And now she wants to break up, and, and there's an article actually from CNBC that John had texted me and uh, specifically said, a liberal vowing to break up liberal companies. I feel so conflicted. And I could hear his uh, sarcasm even through the written text there. (laughs) Or at least I applied it uh, because because I know John. Is that your perception? Or was that the reality? Well, see, and that's Whoa. my perception. There. So <laughs> it's he perception could. of a reality. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's exactly. So my perception was that he was conveying this sarcastically. He could have been overjoyed, uh, but um, d- d- it's. I but, don't the, know. but I think though that to the original point brought up is that there has to be a certain level of oversight at some level. Ultimately, the marketplace is a far superior determination or determinant. The marketplace of, is a far superior regulator. That's what okay. you're going with that, right? Boom. Yeah. That's what you're going with that. And we know that, that mercantilism is a very bad thing. We see we this do. in history. Letting the market control itself is not a good idea. Uh, to the point that the argument is that capitalism in its perfect form serves only the capitalist. And this is the idea of it. Is that the reality which is why we're having this idea, this conversation on perception and reality. I mean, that's the truth of it. So within a theory, we can say that, you know, socialism is one of the best theories that are out there along the lines of a benevolent dictator. They're phenomenal. They're great ideas. But in reality, they don't work and never have, and never will. And I think that's probably the... And you see, this is where sometimes I part ways with high thinkers, is that if it really isn't applicable and it can't be really put into place and use to do something, then, I mean, it's okay to talk about, but don't want to spend a lot of time talking about it because it just doesn't go anywhere. Again, in theory, the benevolent dictator, you can move swiftly, you can oh, yeah. move with great uh, accuracy, boom, boom, boom. But I think we can take a look at Venezuela and say, yeah, it's probably not the case they, because <laughs> dictators don't remain benevolent for long. That's how they That's how they run, air fingers quote, run for office and position and power, but as uh, Sir Lord Acton said, absolute power corrupts absolutely, and eventually they go down the toilet and there are people with them. So the, the capitalist is not the only one served by capital. I mean, again, how the most common of individual living in the United States, the poorest of individual in the United States is far wealthier. There's no doubt in the fact that, so that, that capitalism certain, serves its role, and the idea of the absolute is what we were describing. Sure. And so these so-called high thinkers that you're describing is the benevolent dictator concept bears a lot of good things about it. So by understanding its concepts, you build, you blend them together. And this is a perception and a reality argument. So we, we know that on the, on the ground it may not work, but certainly the ideal, the ideologue concept of it. So, we'll, so, so, so would anyone describe, so would anyone describe perhaps uh, China as that perfect blend of uh, tyranny and capitalism working well? How, 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 how's how do that, we measure for its people? How do we measure the success of a given society? I mean, how, how, what, is, what is the yardstick by which we gauge how well that society, that, that economic system, that political system, whatever, how do we, how do we measure that? Live free or die. Look, 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 look at China. I, I could say three things about China, that one positive and several negative. Forgive me, Matt. We're going to come back to that, okay? Talking about China. But how do we measure the success? 
the Metric Society. Well, my, my point was going to go to okay. Your oh, so you're giving us an example. I'm going to give you two examples that will show you both ends of the spectrum. There. Okay. You have a very strong. You wouldn't necessarily call their leader a dictator, but in essence, he is. They have a Politburo that will do whatever he says to do. It is a dictatorship. But from a yes. advancement of their infrastructure of lifting their people from farming poverty into a modern society, they have been able to make a five-year plan and a 10-year plan and execute it. And our fumbling every year with the budget doesn't lend itself to that. And then you look to Western China and see what they're doing with re-education of Tibetans 20, 30 years ago and what they're doing with Muslims now. And that's the evil side of that type of power of if you're not Han Chinese, you are not a good Chinese. You may be within our boundaries, but you are not one of us. You need to become one of us. I'm a bear of very little brain. I want a definition Winnie that I can... reference there, by the way, for those of you playing at home. <laughs> I, I was just about to say... Higher literature. The Winnie the Pooh this movie is the other my day. primary <laughs> economic test. I'm sorry. Um, I, it's not, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> I, okay, so you got, you got guys on each side of the system over there in China, and some people are faring well, and a lot of people are faring not, as we can tell. Okay. Uh, how, how do we measure... Let's say we're just within our own country here. Uh, the difference between 1925 and 1930, how do we measure how well we're doing? If you want a true measure, and again, within the scope of reality versus perception, the perceived value of any society is the quality of life. Ah. So if you're going to measure the quality of life within a certain region nation, country, geographic area, that's where you're going to start. You're going to create your yardstick around the quality of life. And capitalism, the quality of life is often based in the very rudimentary form of capitalism, which is the exchange of goods and services to exist in the way you want to exist, not absolutely need or have to, but want to exist, and your quality of life starts with Maslow's hierarchy. If you want to go that rudimentary with it, um, is you know ensuring that your base, most basic needs are met first. So if you're in a society or country that can meet, or where you have the ability to meet your most basic needs of existence, that's your first measurement. Then it goes beyond that of what you want in a capitalistic society, which I agree, capitalistic society serves and supports capitalists because they have the ability to... Ultimately, that's the, uh, ultimate, remember, this is an ultimate argument. Ultimate argument. Yeah. It does that. Now, is it because you get to have and, and have access to because capitalists have created the things and services and products that you want or after your needs have been met? and you want these other things, uh, is the reality that you have the freedom to grab these things that you know what you want? Or do you not know what you want until the marketer has skewed your reality by presenting (laughs) what they know you want or what they want you to think that you know you want? 
is your reality skewed through the perception of what you believe or come to believe that you want, must have, need to exist, need to purport your life because of what others have told you. And that goes all the way up then from the capitalists who are running it, who, again, they're, they, they want the capitalist society serves the capitalists because the capitalist presents to you what they know you must have that they are producing. But they have to make you believe that you must have what they are producing. That's how it serves them. Same with the government. Any government, any hierarchy, any ruling class must have you buying... Hold on just a second here. In the oligarchy, must have you buying into what they want you to believe is the proper way to be ruled, governed, managed. So, John, can, can I, I, something just occurred to me that I'd like to submit for everyone's consideration, and that that the the capitalist being served, we we use the phrase capitalist with this idea that perhaps it is a fixed group as opposed to a description, and that there are some people that move in, in and out of the role of being a capitalist, in the, in insofar as that they own the means of production. I used to be a capitalist. I'm no longer a capitalist because I don't own any means of production. Um, to Matt's point earlier, uh, there's a certain kind of Chinese that you must be in order to be a good one, or you're not, right? And so with non with capitalist systems, people have the potential or the freedom, perhaps, to move in and out of uh, that role of being a capitalist, depending on availability to credit and things of this nature, uh, entrepreneurial spirit, risk-taking, tolerance, things of this nature, as opposed to uh, as opposed to other societies, uh, socialist, communist, what have you. Uh, and where is this? If you are not born to the right family, you don't get to take that next step. If you're not born into it, you don't get it. And so there seems to be maybe a distinction to draw there. I don't know if it's an important distinction or not, but it's, it's just something... You can't be, get it. It's the fact that you have a better opportunity to get it. No, That's no, the argument. No, 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 no. Some, in some, again, in a practical application, in many uh, communist or uh, even heavily socialist, if you are not born into the right family with the right surname, you don't get in. You are not allowed. You must go to this way and, and pursue this career. You are channeled to this. I'm just saying, in a practical application, that's how it works. Now, I'm not saying all the time. I'm not saying categorical. I'm not saying a person couldn't find an exception to it. But capital, on the other hand, based on free will, although not perfectly, absolutely conceded. Uh, there is the opportunity, sometimes better, sometimes worse, to become a capitalist based on the aforementioned, access to credit, risk tolerance, things of that nature. Just something to think about. I'm not saying it's credit, right. risk tolerance, <coughs> tools, Capitalism is a reality, regardless of who is in control of it or who, who, who gauges it. It is a reality, and what we mean by this is what is truly capitalism is is having a thing that you put value to, mm -hmm. and that value can be exchanged without the thing leaving your possession. I mean, that's kind of the argument that's behind this whole thing. So the, the other side of the argument against capitalism and socialism, or the idea of a group of people uh, specifically controlling uh, prosperity, instead of just grabbing the ring and going off and lying and cheating and stealing, because this is the way they look at it. The capitalists will always serve themselves. Now, the reality of that, I believe, is that they're missing one key element, 
that whoever it is that's doing it is a human, and humans are bound by things other than just simply possession. But they tend to not think that way. And so the, the argument is that would, they would rather have a duly elected oligarchy. It really is. It's, a, it's the few controlling the many, which is what, which is what communism was. Socialism is not that, but communism certainly was. And this is what they're after. And it's all based on the fact that, well, once I've got mine, screw you guys. And that's what they think is ultimately <coughs> the, the, is what capitalism serves. And it's interesting when you when you when you hear these arguments, they're leaving out the one thing about the will of the person that, that collects the wealth. Because one of the statistics that's it's very difficult to track down is that the United States is one of the most philanthropic countries in the world by a long shot. One of the difficulties in the philanthropic aspects of the U.S. is that we can only gauge it by how it's reported on tax returns. Because there are so many people that give without anybody's knowledge that they give because they believe to truly give, you should not be known that you're giving. Otherwise, you're doing it for something else other than giving. Right. Which we talked about a little bit last which week. Is an, which is an amazing thing. And so the perception about capitalism is that the nature of humans is always going to be evil. And if we can get a group of people together, they'll correct themselves. And it's very funny that these high thinkers, Mm -hmm. within our government, were wrestling with with Hobbes and John Locke. Mm -hmm. And John Locke's opinion was, well, it must be a group. And Hobbes argued that the group will become corrupted within itself and it will serve itself. It is best to have an individual. And that's what they looked at. And And they came up with a system that combines both Hobbesian and... Lockean principles. That works yeah. great if you can find, you know, a, a perfect individual. Well, what, well, this is what Adams comes in, and we talked about this a little while ago in, in politics. He said, well, let ambition counter ambition. So Bingo, I want this thing, where and, we come and, and I have this ambition, and you say, no, I don't want that, and you're going to counter. And, and we come together, and we clash, but the result of the clash is, is both of us go away not happy, and both of us go away not angry. It's a combination of both. And so, and so what that describes, at least I think, as those high thinkers uh, that took, endeavored something that was very abstract to make it very real and very uh, applicable to the common individual day to day. But what you're describing, at least it sounds like, is that an equilibrium is reached by free will in liberty that you can either come together and make medicine and go away extraordinarily happy or you can come together and not make medicine, not arrive on a price for goods or services or what have you, and you go away relatively dissatisfied but still in your liberty because no one forced you literally to. Yes. Right. And and that's the and that's the balance that I can live within my liberty and you can live within yours and your liberty stops where my nose starts and vice versa. And that's okay. And and okay. Let me let me stop you there real quick because Around the table at the moment, we've got, excluding one person, we've got an average age of over 50. Now, we do have one person who is 20. Now, based on what, and I'm addressing the 20-year-old in the room, based on what you've heard so far and the conversation you have heard so far, from someone who is coming up into the world we live in and, you know, going through your education process, your uh, graduation into adulthood, what are your perceptions of the reality? Or what is the reality that you're looking at and watching? As 
in you what aspect? <laughs> in, in, I'm sorry. Beautiful. In the, very beautiful. Sweet. In the aspect of the conversation so far, it can be politically, it can be with regard to capitalism, it can be with regard to the college education you're receiving at the moment. Um, and, and where you think all of this is headed and what you think, you know, you as a 20-year-old yeah. or others within your age group yes. say, you know what, here are people in the average age of 50 plus, mm -hmm. and, and I, John, I'll exclude you from that because I know you're not there yet, but... I appreciate you that. Know, yeah. He's trying to so, like all of you, though. Yeah, he'll, he'll get sure, there the in his own due time. So anyway, yeah. what, what are your thoughts in that regard? Oh, gee whiz. Um, I don't know. Is it all just too much? I think that, personally, at least, I don't know enough, and I don't follow enough, at least politically, to fully understand, like, the ramifications of different types of political systems and governments. Um, I know a lot of people in my age group are not happy with capitalism, just based upon how I think the big thing is all of these groups are marginalized. They can't seem to do anything about it. But look at all of these people who get all of these things all the time. So, like, I think that the reason... I don't even know if this is asking your question. I think the reason why socialism is such, like, a popular thing in my age group or, like, government and economies in that form mm -hmm. is because to my age group and us, our perception is that is going to make things more equal for everyone. Yes. Uh, and I want so much to hear from you because I fear yeah. uh, what's happening amongst folks at your level yeah. and how they're getting there. Right? Mm -hmm. um, there is... Uh, we're going to make this short. Do they not study history? Do the folks in your peer group yes. not know that the one lost record of socialism is very simply expressed as zero? That is... Uh, yeah. Uh, do they not know? That's uh, my honest question. Probably not. I don't know. That's a really scary thing. I mean, I stopped history my junior year of high school. As you should. <laughs> it's, you know, only when you get kids in a house is it going to matter. Then you're going to start looking at it. It's, uh, it, it frightens me that, uh, that we have raised really, really privileged folks, many, mm -hmm. many, many of them, who disdain their own history, their own culture and want to go for something better without finding out for themselves from readily available sources. Is it going to be better when we get there? And how long I mean, is it going to be better? You don't know until you try. Yeah, you do. Oh, yeah, you do. Here's what happens, but, though. You have somebody who is 20 years old who did not take history beyond their junior year in high right. school who's now well into a college career 
wherein no history is being sought because it's not along the path of the majors that she's focused on. It's not applicable. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, but to all the people in her age group, that's, I mean, that's the big thing. They don't know. Which is what frightens us. They don't know. I mean, I don't want to spout generalizations about my age group because honestly, I'm probably a good example of what my age group like does. I just like don't care. And I gotta be honest. To get involved. Neither did we. Or, you At know, your age, I, when you were 20 years old, Matt, did you give a damn about politics? Did you think history was anything but kind of boring? I, I personally liked history. I'm sure you did. <laughs> I, I took extra history. I studied ancient history, Roman and <clears throat> Greece. I studied the Middle Ages. I personally, though I am a STEM person... <laughs> I love history, and I like to see how we got where we were. I have read Locke and Rousseau. I consider myself to have an interest there. Wow. Uh, I'm an exception to the rule. <laughs> yes, you are. Yeah. I, I, I now have a fascination with history, and I have a really strange-looking bookshelf. You know, it, the last 20 years I have changed a lot, but when I was young, uh, all I cared about really was getting my grades, keeping my grades to a level that kept me in school so I could continue to live the lifestyle that I loved, which had a whole lot more to do with other things than going to school. Um, and I, I think there's just this natural tendency as you get older, you get more conservative. Right? We have a 29-year-old rock star in our government right now who is, is, who is expounding on matters that she has no knowledge of. And she is carrying the voice of every single kid that does not study. What, and they're like, yeah, that sounds cool. This is OAC we're talking about? Yes. Yeah, this, okay. that sounds what, really cool. What, are your, what, what do people in your peer group know about her? She tweets a lot. <laughs> you know? Yeah? I, I don't, like, Sorry. personally, like, <laughs> I, I know a lot of people who do That's pay a lot of attention, it. but, like, I right. don't. Okay. Pay a lot of attention. I, to I, I so, thought, like, I don't really know. I think that's a natural thing. I know, I care politically about things that I know and am interested in. So, like, the science, like science in politics, like climate change, all of that. Like, I have more of an opinion than like other things, and like, you know, you're technically educated. Because so you perceptions are real to you. That's why. Yeah. Perceptions are real. Climate change is a pseudoscience. There's no evidence of it. All we have is observation. There's zero evidence of it. We do know the climate change, that's true. That's about all you can say. The causes of climate change are somewhat up for debate. The fact that it is changing is not. Correct. That's not what For the benefit of change means global warming, but they can't use global warming because 30 years before that it was global freezing. And when that was brought up to their attention that, you know, 30 years ago, the same scientists were claiming that we're entering a new ice age. With some really bad data. And now they're saying it's the exact opposite. So because of this flip, they decided <laughs> to do that. I, let me, I, but my point is yeah. about this concept is that it concerns you because it's about people suffering because of action. And that's what your agenda is. You're like, look, if, if, the, if, if people are polluting, I'm against that. 
people are shooting people. I'm against that. Mm-hmm. And this is the ideas that you come up with because you're raised very well by your father and says that you should concern yourself with the well-beings of others and not just yourself. Mm-hmm. And so for you, you're expressing this reality. Yeah. And, and this is what you care about and this is what you focus in on it. Mm-hmm. And you love science because science actually doesn't have all these messy, marginalized concepts in it. It can actually be defined. Now, you don't challenge those, those definitions. You just simply accept them because you have oh, no, 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 Meanwhile, we come to your defense. <laughs> Here you I used to teach science. No. Yeah, man, lady. lady, about what true, true scientists is. question constantly. Right. Yeah. And they think a lot outside the box. They don't accept the constructs in front of them. Yeah, the people on the outside Most of- things are considered not to be laws in nature or in science, but theories. And theories are things that we try to prove to be is wrong. Is there a theory of gravity or a law of gravity? Well, according to you, there's no law of gravity. I'm asking you, not me. I'm asking We you. operate as if well, there were a law of gravity because it's... There. Why? It's very useful in predicting stuff. But what, 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 what's going on with that? I mean, that, that time you dropped it, unknowns to you, there could be an, a very highly dense object traveling at a right angle to the Earth, and then when you dropped it, it wouldn't fall. By the what? By the law of gravity? Is that the argument? No. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? I mean, you make, you make fun, you're making fun of the idea. <laughs> there you go. Can come back? Okay. I wanna, please, let, let, I, I want to come back to... Uh, 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 perception of reality, by the If you... If you assume that someone would accept, at least like in terms of science education, accept what they like are taught from a textbook, then we wouldn't have labs. No. We right. wouldn't go we wouldn't and experiment. do experiments to verify the things that we're told why in not? lectures. Why is it discounted? Why does it discount what I'm saying? Of course you have labs. Why wouldn't you? Why does it? Why do you say that when people look, read what's in a textbook? Yeah. Why does that change about labs? What, you're, you're saying that people ch- constantly challenge reality in front of them. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, That's the name of the game. And, and labs go two ways. Labs yeah. say reinforce what I read in the book. Or they disprove Here's a demonstration what I read in the book. Or I mix two things together. Ninety-nine times out of a hundred, I get result A, and every once in a while, I get result B. Why did I get result B? And that's the interesting right. part. So and that's what we focus on. And so, Why did that happen? The so, anomaly. Right. And so the problem that we find with sometimes the younger generation now, and maybe it was younger generations previous, is the fact that they are not challenging that which is put in front, bringing this back. This is not, they're not challenging what's put in front of them. They're decrying capitalism while they, um, while, the while they tweet on their capitalistic uh, tech uh, service, on their iPhones and their capitalistic profit-driven uh, infrastructures. And then they decry the issue that, well, uh, healthcare should have all single payer because capitalism and healthcare doesn't work. Well, the last time we had capitalism and healthcare was at least 70 years ago. No, 50 anyway. So, yeah. uh, so let's go ahead. And, and so the point being is that it's wonderful that people want to say that they want to challenge the things that are directly in front of them. 
the challenge for young people, among all people, is to apply the scientific method of what's placed in front of you, to look at history, the people who have gone into laboratories, societal laboratories, and experimented with socialism, with communism, with uh, benevolent dictatorships, and how long they last to improve or add to the quality of life. And to Ken Nicholson's point, their record is absolute goose egg zero, no, nada. It doesn't work. And yet, what will happen is that young people, as was the case with all generations that came before them, right, not singling them out, it's the nature of young people, is that at some point, they will get to that moment where it's like, wait a second, I can't say what I want to say. Why? Because it isn't politically correct, being censored. We see that in PragerU with regards to Google, YouTube, so on and so forth, yes. the censorship. And then they'll get into the matter of saying, not only can you not say it, but we're going to banish you from college campuses, i.e. Ben Shapiro on various campuses across the country. They won't let him talk. So if we want to apply the scientific method, yay team, but do it in all things and challenge all things and have the courage to do it. I have no issues with debating anyone. I won't agree with you, but I'll defend your right to the death to what? To be wrong. To say it. <laughs> to say it. And, and, and then I would follow up with good, raucous humor that I would love to agree with you, but then we would both be incorrect, right? And so, so we are French. I thought so. And then let's take it back to China. What is, okay. what is China doing today? They're putting in a system that you earn political credits. Yep. If you behave in an upstanding way, yep. you get credit. In a defined if, way. Right. If you are social putting credits. something in social credits, there you mm -hmm. go. So if you're saying something that is counter to the government point of view, mm -hmm. if you're getting traffic tickets because your foot's a little heavy, now you can't get a train ticket or a plane ticket to go home for the Lunar New Year celebration. Or if you spend too much time in a church... Without or, getting government supplemental information, or if you smoke, they, not, they now have cameras and churches that do phrase recognition, so that they can keep track of the people that are involved. Or, 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 or if you eat the wrong thing, and our seemingly liberal thing companies of Facebook and Google are enabling the software that makes this happen. Absolutely true. Yeah. Um, when, back to perceived. Value perceived quality of life. When I, I when I was 25 years old, the early Pleistocene, um, my father moved to Brazil, and he was kind enough to put my wife and me on an airplane to go visit him for three weeks. I was classic 25 years old, well-educated, uh, pretty darn liberal, you know, hair to my shoulders, kind of, you know, musician, freaky guy. When I got to Brazil, my dad, who was living in what they had for an upper middle class at the time, lived in an apartment that was maybe 600 square feet. There were five of them. They didn't have a toaster. They didn't have enough counter space and sink space to be able to clean up dishes after dinner in the style to which I had become accustomed. In other words, clean dishes come out the other end. Uh, there were beaches that were from heaven, absolutely the most wonderful places in the world. And if you stepped out of line on those beaches, you went to jail. Traffic cops on the corners that stepped in when the traffic lights cut out right there along Ipanema, 
which happened all the time, those guys carry Tommy guns, mm -hmm. and they use them all the time. Mm -hmm. the, 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 quant, uh, the, 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 the reality shift that my wife and I went through was shocking, and I came back incredibly impressed with my country for the very first time. I, I just had no idea the difference. And Brazil, in the great world of places, was not such a bad place at the time. I mean, compared to, everybody in this country should be forced to spend a month abroad sometime before they're 25 years old. And not in Western Europe. No. I mean, sincerely. No, I, I mean, had the same experience come visiting <sighs> Peru, South America. Right. You know, life becomes very simple when you're concerned mostly about feeding your family. Right. Or, and you don't have electricity, and you don't care about things that a lot of the rest of the world care about because you have a dirt floor and your child just died in the middle of the night because you were too cold. Does your does does life become incredibly simple, to your point, Jerry? Very. Life, it was very difficult for me to come back to the United States after just a two-week stay in Peru because of how difficult and complicated and gamey we make our society. So I had a tough but, time but, getting used to that. Right, but to the point, to build on that, is that life also becomes very simple mm -hmm. when you um, are concerned about whether it is someone's going to come in in the middle of the night, kick down your door, and take you away, and you're never seen again. Well, so that, that so that's too the issue. So, I know. So, so we're talking right, right. So we're talking about <laughs> not only people surviving and having healthy families and their and their kids surviving and being right. educated and living a little better than you did because that's I think almost a universal language in, in many cases but then it's also the matter of that will your government come in and will it take you away in the middle of the night will it suppress your freedom of speech will you just simply disappear will you spend the next 20 years as a former um, associate of mine, his father, again in communist Romania, he spent 20 years in a four foot by five foot cell and he never, for that period of time, was rarely able to leave an embryonic position. He was crippled by the time he left and it was because he was an artist and a musician who didn't really think the way it is the communists thought. So this is the point. Right. And so we come back to this issue of the quality of life, and that is, isn't it at some level for people to live their lives before who it is they call God in liberty? I'm a born-again Christian, but I would, I would say to, I would not... Uh, say to anyone that you can't worship who it is you who you want because I'm also a westerner. I'm a, I'm a I'm a I believe in the democratically elected republic and the constitution. And I understand that the freedoms within that framework as being a Judeo-Christian based document protects the rights of those who are not. And that's the unique thing about the Judeo-Christian documents that I'm sorry, I didn't know when I was 20, but now you have many young people in younger generations are not only not not aware aware of it, but they're absolutely willing to, pardon the phrase, crucify it with having absolutely no knowledge of it. The fact is that you go elsewhere in the world, anywhere else in the world than this country, you're going to find people relatively miserable. And, you know, there are better places, UK is perhaps, you know, well, Australia, until you're old. New Zealand, until right? You're old. Until you're old. Yeah, right? you Good point, right? Death, or sick. Yeah. Sick is not good, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and but most places are nowhere near 
that reasonable, viable, uh, Could you nice find relatively places. miserable for me? All right, well, you know, where people have a harder time eating properly yeah. and <laughs> staying healthy than they do here. So it goes back to his idea about quality of life, but... But, but who's uh, going to measure my standard of quality of life? I may be thoroughly happy eat. living in a hut and scrabbling for the little vegetables I can grow on my little plot of land around my hut without any electricity and and, and if dirt you floors and, and chasing my sheep all across the field, knitting but while I run. But be careful about your I garden growing too well because that. the guy living next to you's garden may not be growing well and he sees your garden, suddenly he's going to take your garden from you and you're done. Or, or even worse, the third party takes it away and gives it to him. Well, That's it the problem. Matter. It doesn't matter. I mean, you, you can take problem. it from you. But see, again, that gets back down to the reality in which you choose to live or which you, maybe you don't even know you have a choice to live in any other reality other than what you were born into and what you know. But because that's your your it's perception. What you know. It's what you know. It's what exists. And the argument then becomes, you know, which we got into a number of episodes back about absolute truths. But uh, you know, can can anything exist outside of your perception? And <laughs> can any reality exist other than what you perceive it to be? Because while we all sit here in this room recording in this cafe and that is in this town of McHenry, which is in the county of McHenry, which is in the state of Illinois, which is in the country of the United States, we go all the way down from this chair to a country, uh, which is then on this planet, as we understand it to exist and to be, is the reality that in a general scope we share. Any better drugs. Any better drugs. And it, what I'm, you know, but what I'm saying is, we all, even though we share this general reality, our perception of it is always going to be incredibly and extremely individualistic, other than those aspects on which we choose to agree. If we do not choose to agree, then we do not share the same reality. Well, we, come at them from, we come at all of our perspectives and all of our perceptions based on the filters that we grew up looking through. Mm -hmm. And all of those filters, even within the same family, the filters are different mm -hmm. because each individual sat at a different angle at the table. Yeah. So isn't it really the issue then, if we're going to have a cons point conceded that we have different filters because we are sitting at the table in a different place, so on and so forth, that if all these things exist, you have a choice then. Uh, different opinions, how does it actually get administered? Liberty has to carry the field. Otherwise, because my perception is different than your perception, my perception of reality is different than your perception of reality, and if I'm not allowed to live in my liberty, now there has to be a winner and a loser, and that's going to come down to who has the guns and the gold and the power and the influence, and that is not what it is our founding fathers in many ways designed. That's certainly not Jeffersonian, right? And that is he never conceived of the idea that states would be as big as they are, and the only reason they're as big as they are now going west is because the original 13, they discovered, wow, there's a lot of land out there, and if we have like 150, 250 states the size of Massachusetts, we're going to lose our power. So they start gobbling up land mass so they wouldn't get the representation till, tip the wrong way. But again, the point being is that liberty is the only thing that solves that. Liberty is the only thing that solves your perception being your perception, and, and that's your thing. And I would it's argue the to politics the politics that protect liberty. 
liberty left by itself yes. is yes. destructive. Of course. Yes. This is the argument about capitalism. This is the root of it. In, in her generation, it's been told it's Marxist concept that capitalism only serves itself, and they're and they're not taking into consideration that an individual can be empathetic or an individual can be charitable. And by, by the way, charity and empathy are not the same thing. I'm, I'm not sure they're being taught that because, as you said, you stopped learning about being, history in junior in, when you were junior in high school. They're being taught right? that not by school, but by right. But they're Right. The media. Yeah. Well, I remember my daughter's 27, and she went to the theater school at DePaul, and her last play that she did her senior year was about the Mei Lai Massacre in Vietnam. And all of the state, all of the actors and people associated with the um, play came out and talked to the people that attended the play and expressed their disgust and their upset that they had never even talked about Vietnam before they were involved in this play because it was never presented to them anywhere in their education. And so, and, and despite the fact that, that um, Lexi stopped studying history when she was a junior in high school, do we have any confidence that the textbooks were actually historically accurate? That history they were, is written that by the victor. They we, were not, but, they, but there is, but there is. History but, is written by the survivors. But there's also a matter of, though, that history can certainly be more right than less right. I'm not saying history is always recorded perfectly. That's no. not. It's not. It's not Can't perfection be. versus nihilism, right? There's that gray area, and so so I'm not going to be marginalized that way. But I will say that the people that write the textbooks, the people that on the board and the teachers and the unions that want the textbooks in, and the states and the legislators that mandate the requirements and shove this stuff down on your local there it people, goes right there. so on and so forth. <laughs> These, I mean, again. I would submit that young people, i.e. also myself, because most of my history I learned, I learned when I, after I got out of school because I was curious and I knew that if I didn't know it, I was going to wind up in a camp someday. And so the history that people did learn while they were in school because they were taught by the government schools was suspicious at best and inadequate completely. Challenge authority. Oh, you weren't agreeing with me earlier when I was playing basketball. Well, always challenge authority, which is I what, always you know, when textbooks, the textbooks scientific are not method the best designs way to teach demands. at all. Absolutely. And, and in those textbooks, they teach about how bad they, they teach about how bad it is the uh, the Vietnam War is. If Vietnam was okay. I mean, if you want to really, I mean, if you want to have a really smart conversation about that. Uh, I mean, look at how, again, sitting at different ends of the table. But before you go any further on that, which is a great thing, but we're on the radio, we, got we don't have time. True. This really strikes this idea of perception and reality. Mm -hmm. And so, so the reality of it is what you're just describing, because you went and actually did the work. But there's a perception from the people that are now changing how the, the war was looked at. Mm -hmm. And now if I talk to one of my uh, younger nieces or nephews, they will categorically say that Vietnam was a great evil upon the United States, which is why the U.S. Had, has evil in it. And then I would challenge that and saying, well, how much do you know about it? Right. And so, what do you know about the push of communism? And do you know these other events and why this happened? And they don't. Right, and you see, and that's really the issue. And this that, is the perception reality argument that's going on in politics. They're changing the game. And the only way to stop that is to play the same game. And you see, and there's, and there's no... Change the perception. And I have absolutely no fear about sitting down and watching the movie The Fog of War. It's a fantastic movie. And in there, McNamara concedes the issue. Vietnam, we were wrong. 
so there's no there's there's not a fear of looking at differing opinions to to figure out okay what does it really mean and how does it really how does it really uh, uh, ferret itself out. The problem is is that when you have a younger generation that is incredibly politicized and it's in all levels of their tech, it's in their pockets with their phones and the information is distributed so much more quickly than it ever was with any previous generation. Unverified. Unverified, not vetted. You have all this just flooding out there and their opinions and their voting and their attitudes and the mores are all being based off of this. We have the opportunity where it is now you don't have the chance to really vet, to really formulate an opinion that's informed. It's genuinely informed. And if you can't think, well, there's no such thing as an informed opinion, well, then shit, I guess we're all just ready to, for the mud, for you know, for the cave again, because this thing can't hold. And and how is that? Ahead. How? Okay. I think. Therefore. <laughs> the way that you phrase all of that, which I don't necessarily think is your intention, makes it sound like. It's my generation's fault. Oh no! No, for no, not no, no, like no. I know, but our like, fault. Yeah. No, okay. It's, it's not an issue of fault. Yeah. It's an um, issue of it's an issue of behavior and what the yeah. outcomes will be. Okay. Right. Go but ahead. I think that the way, like my generation, like all young generations, all the time, always, is angry because we like weren't taught the things that like we're now realizing we should have been taught and then that turns into why weren't we taught this the government must be like bad the things that the government doing is like not does that make well, sense yeah and we yeah. have a lot of agreement with yeah. you there so like <laughs> yeah so like i think that the like basis of how to educate a population of people like should kind of be the measure of success of your government. You got no. it. Be, no. Well, like, but part of why? part well, of the problem why? is I, the I, government I is dictating what gets taught in the classroom. Yeah. So, so, but so you see this. So let's bring this back to the individual, right? And so bring it back to communist China. Oh no no no. Indoctrinated. That's well, the concept here. Is this is indoctrination. Is that's not what she said. Yeah, what she said what was she we said. can that measure our success on the, on the, the quality of the education we provide. Is the information correctly? Is that what you're saying? Is it the government's responsibility? What is the responsibility of the government? The U.S. government or any government, what is the responsibility of that government? To make sure people don't die. That's certainly one of them. <laughs> I mean, I think... Protection like, of, the, of, the, of its citizens certainly... Obviously, one. obviously, it's not it's not going to work out if a government is controlling what their population knows. Mm -hmm. That is not how things um, are money, going right. to work. But I think that a government... I don't know how. I'm not a political theorist. But, like, I think that a country should give its citizens open access to every bit of information. Absolutely, and I think that's awesome, Lexi, and this is what I want to dovetail off of that before I lose my thought because I'm an old man and that's going to happen pretty <laughs> quick. And the reason for this is this. Therefore, based on 
what you've taken away from this conversation this morning. What is the book you're going to pick up? Are you do you have a book in mind that you would like to pick up to learn? I have a bookshelf full of recommendations with regards to <laughs> and and I would start with I.E. Liberty and Tyranny by Mark Levin. Uh, that would be a fantastic. Uh, the, um, the Liberty Amendments would be another outstanding. So once the individual recognizes the fact that they have been woefully educated by a government system that is at fault in doing something it's not supposed to intended to do, then the individual, as they live their life before God, whoever it is they call him to be or not, they then make the decision, okay, I need to come up to speed on this because my kids' kids are dependent on this to live in liberty and freedom, assuming that's a good thing. I need to get going. Right, and so then, it, you know, the best time to plant a tree, twenty years ago. Yeah. The second best time, today. Yeah, yeah. So it would have been great if 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 uh, if we all would have had books ten years ago, and we'd have been reading this and that when we were twenty. If we'd started when we were fifteen and we were digging in and going, that'd have been great. But you know something, you can't change that. The best time to start is right now. Once a person realizes I am woefully educated, and there's something here I need to know more about, I'm going to take personal responsibility. Well, we live to in a system that is handled by representatives. It's not her job to be a political theorist. It's no. her job to vote for a person who fits what she believes is the right ideology. Yes, and I want to dovetail on that, that it is also her job to do that from a position that has been vetted, that is relatively well-educated, and the way you do that is to go back and you look at history. Because she's going to be busy doing her astrophysics. Oh, Why sure, absolutely. Absolutely. Why should she be well, involved? Because raising children, or, or I'm working in my field, or whatever you're doing. But That's why we have representative government. Go ahead. Go ahead. I mean... Where are you going to find the angels? Thank you. Like, not every person can know everything. That's why people do different yes. things, and you have to have people doing different things because not everyone can do everything at the same time. Right. And that doesn't mean, though, that we shouldn't do something. And, and if a people, yeah. and if a people, just because we can't do everything doesn't mean we shouldn't do anything. And yeah. the simple fact of the matter is, is that if people and their individual liberty do not re recognize when it is their government becoming totalitarian and they're losing their freedoms, then the freedoms will go away and they will become, uh, and we will travel the tight uh, cycle from slavery back to slavery. I mean, it's boom, it's done. Yeah. We're holding it off pretty good. You become a subject. You do right. not become. Yeah. A, you do not remain a citizen. You become a subject. Right, because the, because the simple fact of the matter is that when people realize or think to themselves that the federal government is at the top, the states are here, and the people report to the states, and God is not in the equation, as opposed to the way the founders, these high thinkers, wanted it to be, God... Uh, individual, state, and fed. That was the original intent. That was the formula. We flipped it and we've removed a key yeah, component. Yeah, the first word in the First Amendment is freedom of religion. Yeah. Somehow that gets missed. Now it's freedom of speech. They just bypass that first yeah, they word. Yeah, they There's a reason why they listed that first. Yeah, because they did not have freedom of religion so when important. they came here. The freedom yeah. of religion is so key. It is the one religion's concept. is the one thing that survives when people don't eat. Now it is to survive it and it actually increases. When people are starving, they start looking towards religion. That's true. All other considerations fall off the table except that. I need to eat. I don't eat. Why, God? And you know something? I just want to end with, I, I don't know if we're ending, but I, mean, we're, I know we're over, but... Thank you so much, Lexi, for coming in, and we really hope we didn't, Absolutely. you know, grass you, you off or scare you off. So. And next time we're going to give you a book to read, so when you come here, you can actually talk the way we talk. No, I'm kidding. That's a legend, Doctor. I said that was a tongue in cheek. I like the way you talk, just like you are. Absolutely, I'm kidding. No, I'm I'm very appreciative, and I will assure that Lex is my daughter. Very, very proud of her, and as you should be. Very happy. That she's, you know, again, 
we, we ventured into a conversation, and it's wonderful actually to hear that you know I you don't think about these things, um, and I, I kind of suspected that might be the case. I did I didn't have a political bone in my body until my late forties. I did not. I, I could have. I could not have cared less because I didn't care at all. I didn't, it, it, I didn't, I didn't feel have the time or the energy. I was studying you know, my butt off. Yeah, and and yeah, when <laughs> I was back in my twenties, it's real real life real life. Outside of going to college and high school, and school started very very early for me. Um, you know, it's a twenty year old in her. Uh, you know, coming up on the the end of the second year in college. She's got an enormous workload, and she's yeah. uh, pulling. You're, you're well, you're pulling a couple of majors and two minors, two minors, two majors, two minors. That's why I love Churchill's argument and honors. Yeah, Churchill says anybody that's so. in school is not a liberal. It's got something wrong with them, mm-hmm. and anybody I, that grows up with children in a household that's not a conservative, there's something wrong with them. <laughs> so wasn't he, wasn't he also one that said there are two kinds of problem drinkers, those who drink too much and those who drink too little. Yeah, right. Yep. <laughs> that's right. So at any rate, I really, just to echo John, thank you very much yeah. for coming this morning. It meant a lot to me on a lot of different levels. Um, but uh, what were your thoughts on this? I'm glad you chimed in. Um, cool. I don't know. That's excellent. <laughs> cool. Well, well, like, I think... One, clarification. I have learned history, just not called history, since my junior year of high school. Okay. In, But that's just like... That's an aside. That's an aside, just to clarify, because I'm still learning things. And then, second, there are people my age who do care very much a lot about politics and have, and like, read it all, and like, are involved and have valid opinions about things um, but I think that just personally from my perspective I just don't care about it that much so I just wanted to make sure those were sweeping generalizations anyway, no, that, that is all no that's fine and, <laughs> and genuinely <laughs> appreciate it thank you very much you care about it it's just not high up in the hierarchy yeah, <laughs> yeah it's not I mean I she's got right. other stuff to worry about right now um Guys, thank you very much. You can golf clap it out. That wraps up episode 62. Wonderful. Thank you guys very, very much.